Grab your Bibles and let's go to Exodus chapter 15. Exodus 15. One of the things about harvest is uh, stated this way, harvest people bring their Bibles. You don't always see that in churches. And uh, one of the things you'll get more and more, if you're newer here, you'll get more and more of an idea is we're really serious about the Bible and uh, so if you don't have a Bible with you today, I want to encourage you to be bringing your Bible, as well as uh, we've got some people coming around with a Bible you can borrow. If you don't have a Bible, you got one now, and uh, we're going to dig into it. Well, I know who I worship for real by how I handle life trials. I know who I worship for real by how I handle life trials. So far in Exodus, we have seen the Israelites see God. I mean, they have seen God. This last year in the life of the Israelites have been incredible. There they've been in Egypt as servant slaves for over 400 years. And then God brings them out. God shows his plagues. He shows his power. He shows his presence. This last year or so of their lives has been like none other. These polytheistic-minded Israelites are seeing Yahweh, the God of the Scriptures, the Creator God, for the first time in their lives like they've never, ever seen him before. And they've seen God. And as they're now on the east side of the Red Sea, they've sang about God. They've proclaimed his name. They, they've seen him and they've sung about him. But here's the question. What's, gonna, what's it going to be like now for them? I mean, they've seen and they've sung, but now they're on the east side of the bank. From here on out, what is life about to be like? Because we are at a really interesting point in the time of, uh, of the Israelites here. Because all the stuff that's been taking place over the last year and all the way through the crossing of the Red Sea, coming over onto this side of the Red Sea and singing of the glory of God through it all in the works of God, now life is about here on out. And what's it going to look like? And God doesn't waste much time trying to form these dear people and helping them see what's going on. A person can see God's purposes. A person can sing God's purposes. But the big question is, the real big question is, is are they going to live God's purposes? So how do I know what I'm living for? Let me rephrase that. How do I know who I'm living for? How do I know who I'm living for? Answer. You find out who you are living for by how you go about handling, handling life trials. It's in the tests of life that you really find out what your theology really is. And we have the Israelites, our starting class. They have just enrolled into Yahweh University and it's first semester and first semester course load is Heart Assessment 101. And we are now about to find out what is life now going to be like for these dear people. And I want to tell you something. We have a lot to learn from the text we're covering today. Because, folks, every one of us need to hear this text today. Everyone, and believe me, I'm front and center. I've already heard it once today. And uh, this is tough stuff. Straight up with you. I know who I worship by how I handle life trials. Well, before we get into our text, let me pray. Lord, we are about to enter your word, and we enter it with great delight and great joy. We get to learn more about you. How cool is that? Help us to learn more of you. Help us to live more of you as a result. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray, right? Amen. Exodus 15, verse 22. We've got about two and a half chapters to read, so let's roll. 
Verse 22, then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea and they went into the wilderness of Shur. I want to bring up a map here just to, because I've been using maps here all, all along and I think they're so helpful because they bring back a reality of what life is about. Oftentimes that's why I use satellite maps because this isn't a, this isn't a story fairyland world. This is real stuff. Here we've got a topographical map that we've used in the past. You can see how they've come out of Egypt. They're now on this east side of the Gulf of Suez, which is part of the Red Sea. And so they're trekking down this east side here. This is where they're being led. And by the way, who's leading this? them. God is leading them, okay? Please, please keep that in mind here. The Lord is leading these people. Here we go. Uh, And the wilderness of Shur, they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Okay, so they crossed the Red Sea, and I don't know if it's the next day, you know, they sang in, earlier in chapter 15, I don't know if it's the next day or if it's the coming, let's just say that it's in the first week, somewhere thereabouts, in the first week after the crossing of the Red Sea, they're trekking on their way here. And it says they were, they, they were traveling how long? Three days, and what was the problem? No water. Okay, I'm traveling with Karen and Luke and Emily, when they're little, and we're trucking along, we got our dog Snoopy and our livestock and all these things traveling with us, along with two million other people. That's a lot of people. And all these people are trekking along, and they're making their way down this trek. Now, it's in the wilderness. What that really means is this is desert. Okay, please understand, wilderness is not like, you know, uh, Lake Tahoe, California, in the mountains and the beauty and everything. This is in the desert. Okay? And they're going three days. Now, day number one, I'm trekking with my family and all these two million people. And a day one without water in the desert is not preferable. Agreed? But it's doable. Very doable. Okay, we could get through a day. It's day two. Um, Papa's having a harder time today. Day two. Because I'm really thirsty and my wife's thirsty. I love my wife and I love my kids and I love my Snoopy most of the time. And I love, oh, that's going to, we'll bring that up later on maybe here. Um, and then we'll, we'll come in all the, my livestock and everything's going in two days in the desert and there's been no water. And I'm telling you, we are thirsty and this is getting tough. It's getting really tough. And especially when I'm not seeing any glimmer of hope over here. Understand, folks, this is all new land to these people. Okay, they they weren't traveling around, getting to know all the areas, and they knew where the lakes and everything was. Oh, by the way, who's leading them? God's leading them. Okay, and it comes to day number three. Day number three comes along, and all of a sudden, there I am with my family, with my kids, with my dog, with my livestock, with the two million people, and there's still nothing to drink until, let's just say, I don't know when in the day, later in the day, all of a sudden, we're coming along, and we hear, you know, a half mile up from the million people up front, we hear that there's water. And we're like, water, oh, splash island. And so we're coming along, and everybody comes. They jump in that lake. They jump in. Oh, they're so thrilled about it. And then they take a little taste of the water, and it's horrible. Look look what happens. Three days in the wilderness, they found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah, which is bitterness. So there they are. They have the water. They start tasting the water, and it's undrinkable. Now, day one. Really thirsty. Day two, thirsty, bad attitude. Day, day three, serious, really bad attitude, thinking we're going to die. We come to the water. Whoa, we're there. You come to the water, you drink, and you can't drink it. That is adding insult to injury. Perfect opportunity to just have a massive bad attitude. And understandably so, true? I mean, if I just think of myself there. So what do they do? And by the way, who's leading them? Huh. Could God have led them somewhere where there was water on the way? Not quite sure there. Um, how do they respond? Verse 24, and the people did what? And they grumbled. Completely understand completely understand. Listen, folks, this is no throwing stones at these dear folks, thirsty folks. Completely understand. And they grumbled. Who did they grumble against? 
Moses. They grumble against Moses. Makes sense. He's the person there that I see that I'm kind of casting my my, uh, thirst stones at. And he's saying, what shall we drink? They ask a question. Very good question. Nothing's wrong with that question whatsoever. They're wondering what is taking place. Now, I will make note that this is the second time in Exodus that we have seen the term talking about how the Israelites grumbled. The first is in chapter 14 when they had left out of Egypt. They were before crossing the Red Sea and the army was, the Pharaoh's army was coming after them and they grumbled to Moses saying, we're going to die. This is the second time. So what's Moses going to do here? Verse 25, and he cried to the Lord. And the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it in the water, and the water became sweet. Miracle. Miracle. And all the people jump in Splash Island, and they're drinking, and they're just, thirst has been quenched. Day one, thirsty. Day two, really thirsty. Day three, dead dog thirsty almost. And day three, they jump in the water, insult to injury. And then all of a sudden, God's, Moses is like, God, what do, I, what, what do I do? Throw in a log. Oh, by the way, just Bible study. Let's step out here just for a moment. Bible study reality here for a moment. Some people talk about how this log represents the cross. See, no connection of that. I just want to say, be very careful as you study the scriptures that we're not drawing connections to things that really have no biblical validation of this is the deal god said moses throw a log in so god so moses throws a log in the water becomes sweet and they drink now if you're there and you drink and you're sitting back your family now is quenched their thirst is quenched and they're all there and you're saying listen i want to tell you something at the university of yahweh this is a perfect moment to get their attention class is in session right here and god now has their attention They've been yearning, yearning, yearning for water. God performs a miracle and boom, do I have your attention, class? Yes, I do. Now, class, listen. Here's what he says. Verse, uh, what is it there? Um, Where are we at? Right in the middle of 15, or I'm sorry, 25. There, right there at that time, the Lord made for them a statute and a rule. God established a statute and a rule and there he tested them. Wait a second, what did God do? He tested them. Wait a second, but I thought God is a loving God. I thought God is a loving, pampering God. That God just gives us health and wealth and prosperity and cuddles us like little puppy dogs when we're his. And God never tests us. God never brings anything wrong. Bad theology. In fact, I would go so far as to say heresy. Because God does test his people, and we're going to see it here in the remaining text. Do you, do you, do you know that? Do you know that God's love is not a pampering love, but God's love is a perfecting love? God's love is not about now that you're my child, I just want to give you, you know, eat Hershey's kisses all day long, all day nonstop. Or actually better, dove dark chocolate, that would be better. Now we're on track. You know, that's not what's taking place. No, no, no. When we come to God through Christ, now it's a time as his child, just like we as parents should want to be, we want to raise our children and train them to become God-honoring adults. And God looks at his children and God's love is not a pampering love. It's a perfecting love. He's trying to grow us, mature us, help us. And that means like a teacher to a student, we want to help them. And periodically we test them because tests show what a person grasps and what they know. And how they can apply it. And folks, God tested them. Verse 26 saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Listen, if you are a listener of the Lord, and and if you are a listener of the Lord and a doer of the Lord, you will be blessed in the Lord. James chapter 1, you are blessed in the doing of the word. By the way, God's blessing, that's his decision on what that looks like. I am not talking about if you follow God, you will be a multimillionaire. That's the pampering view, love. God is going to bless as God blesses, but that's the pattern. Verse 27, then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees. Isn't that kind of interesting? 12 springs of water, like who's counting? Apparently, they had nothing else to do in the desert. 70 palm trees. And look at this. And they encamped there by the what? Isn't that cool? 
Look at that. Here God's leading them. Hey, move this way. Day one, thirst. Day two, really thirsty. Day three, dead dog thirsty. <laughs> What's going on? This is not funny. <laughs> Throw the log in. Oh, drink, 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 drink. And then God moves them on and he puts them by water. Listen, God, this is school time and course number one, session number one has just been completed. Now, chapter 16, because now it's class number two, they set out from Elam and all the congregation of people of Israel came to the wilderness of sin. Now, this isn't sin as in like sin. This is sin as in just a place. I don't know why it's named that, but it is. But they just came to this area, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. Why is that important? Because what took place here, we're just going to say, was week one after they were on the east side of the, of the Red Sea. What is now about to take to place is about a month later, about a month later after the crossing. So there's been, say, three weeks of time here, just round numbers, about three weeks of time that's taken place. Three weeks of time to walk. Three weeks of time to think, three weeks of time to live, three weeks of time to be, and time for another test. Verse 2, and the whole congregation of the people of Israel, what? Grumbled. Love these guys. But I want to tell you, I'm not going to get too hard on them. Because man, do I see me all over these. It's been a month. It's about time for another grumbling session. I mean, right? I deserve it. People of Israel grumbled against who? Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, in the desert. And the people of Israel said to them, to Moses and Aaron, would that we had, I'm sorry, what would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full? For you have brought us out of the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with what? Okay, what was the first trial? Thirst. Now what's the second one? Hunger. Okay, do you see the exaggeration in there, by the way? Hey, listen, when life starts getting hard and we get uncomfortable, you know, it's like um, our thing in our house for me is I get teased about because at times I'm like, it's so hot, I'm going to just vomit. (laughs) You know, it's just kind of this bizarre statement. Okay, right, honey? Okay, and I get teased about it all the time. And, you know, it's like, I'm so hungry, I'm going to die. And that's just a common thing. We just exaggerate. Usually we exaggerate things aren't as worse as they are, but when they talk about it, they're like really bad. And when they're really good, they're really good, especially if we were really good in it, we exaggerate. And listen, here's what they're talking about in it. They're like, Moses, you bring us out here. We're thirsty. We're starving, Marvin. And we want to go back to Egypt because we, we are, oh, by the way, slaves and servants under the horrific hand of Pharaoh. Oh, forgot that part. But I just remember the big screen plasma TVs and the MCL cafeteria buffet. And it was beautiful there. And we got to eat all the time, as much as we wanted, anytime. Why did you bring us out here when we could be back there? Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting how, listen, seriously, how we do this? This hurts too much. Verse 4, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to blow their brains out. (laughs) Oh, sorry. Uh, The long-suffering Lord. That's right. Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. What a gracious God. Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people should go out and gather a day's portion every day. Every day. What an incredible God. Every day. Why is God doing this? I'll keep reading. That I may test them. Huh? God is going to provide for them with the purpose of actually testing them. Testing them meaning this. I'm trying to teach them. Listen, life schools us. And he's using life here to school them, to help them, to teach them, to train them. And he's testing them. And he's doing this that I may test them. Well, why is he doing that? To find out whether they will walk in my law or not. That's the issue. That is the issue. They've been in Egypt. They've crossed the Red Sea. Now they're over on this side. And now they've got, they don't know it yet, but they've got 40 years going before the promised land. And they're on this side. And folks, all that is past history. All that greatness is done. They've seen God. They've sang God, but now it's about living God. 
And so often a person like Mark chapter 4, the parable of the sowers, and so often uh, soil number 2 and soil number 3, we can just rejoice in the Lord. I come to know Jesus. I hear about Jesus. And I sing about Jesus. And then soil number 2 and 3 talks about how then life gets hard because of the word. I mean, it's actually hard. And, and by the way, it means I, I, I like can't go out and, and do some things that I used to be able to do before. I mean, I can't do that. You know, this like ruins my life. And so I'm out. And that's the seeing and the singing, but the not living. And now God changes his focus. Listen, for the last year, I have been showing you me like you've never seen before. And now you've sung to me and way to go. But now, guys, I am here in the school of training you to live with me. And the question is this that I ask us. Are you and I going to be people that just see God and sing about God? Or are we going to be the kind of people that see God and sing God, but especially we're the kind of people that hunker down and live for him? That's the kicker. We can go and see God anywhere. Just go outside. We can sing about God anywhere. Just go outside or here and sing. But the issue is, is are we living for him with who he is? that I may test them to find out if they're going to walk in my law or not. Verse 5, on the sixth day, here's what God continues to tell them that he's going to do. When they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, at evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord. Every day, every morning, seeing God's goodness, because he has heard your what? Oh, ouch. I just want to say, ouch moment. Because here it's like, I'm honked off at Moses and Aaron. Oh, yeah, God hears. Listen, we're going to see this carry on through. We're going to bring it home at the end. But just see this. Listen, grumbling isn't isn't horizontal. Grumbling is really about vertical. And grumbling against who? Look at the text. It's grumbling against the Lord. It changes now. Before it was all about grumbling to Moses and Moses to Aaron. But ultimately, the Lord knows that this is about grumbling before him. This is a vertical issue, not as much so much a horizontal issue. For what are, for what are we, Moses says, that you grumble against us? Moses is like, listen, you're looking at this horizontally. I'm talking to you. This is about a vertical issue. All of life is a vertical issue. Verse 8, Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him. I mean, what are we? We're just guys. Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Verse nine, then Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. Like you getting the idea? There's a focus there. Verse 10, And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. I mean, how awesome is this? God is just so creative. By the way, but again, this isn't a pampering love. This is a perfecting love. Every day, God's provision is about providing every day God's provision because today has enough issues of its own. Live by faith day in and day out. I wonder tonight after I get all the quail, is he going to have it the next day? I wonder. I don't know. Oh, and there it is. And then the next day, I wonder if he's going to the next day. This is, this is all about training his people to live by faith. Verse 13, in the evening, the quail come up covered the camp and in the morning dew uh, lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing. (laughs) Love that terminology. What is it? I don't know. It's a flake-like thing. Fine as frost on the ground and the people of Israel, they saw it. And they said to one another, see and say, what is it? That's really the terminology for manna. In the Hebrew, we still really don't quite know what the word manna means. I think part of that's on purpose because it's like we go, what does that mean? Don't know. What's it representing? Don't know. It's that thing. Oh, I I think it's kind of cool. 
what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. Verse 16, this is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat, you shall eat. You shall take an omer, about two liters, according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. Verse 17, and the people of Israel did so. Way to go. They gathered some more, some less. And when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Miracle. Each of them gathered as much as he could. Verse 19, and Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. Isn't that interesting? God wanted to make sure. God designed this. I'll tell you, if you don't know me, in my past life in business, I was, you know, very much most of my job was basically inventing, designing medical devices. And so I, I always just have this side of me that comes in, and it's like, God the inventor, it is so cool. He designed this thing that when it comes down, it comes down every morning, and there it is, and you go and you gather it up, however you gather it up, and by later in the day, all of a sudden, it's like stinking and worming. I mean, God designed it to be that way. Uh, but let's keep reading, because we see even more how God designed it. Uh, where was I? Verse 20, but they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank, and Moses was angry with them. Uh, morning by morning, they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. 22, on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn wrath, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Very interesting here because this is the very first time in the Old Testament that the word Sabbath is used. And we need to clear our understanding from this standpoint. They have not been told about obey the Sabbath day yet. The Ten Commandments have yet to be coming in Exodus chapter 20. That is something that is a foreign idea to them. But yet God knows what's coming down the road. And God right now in this process, he's already setting up the process of he knows what's coming down the road. I.e. God is sovereign in control and knows what's happening. He knows about the flakes. He knows about the quails. He knows about the Sabbath coming. He knows the whole thing. Listen, folks, God is sovereign and in control of the details of everything. And if you are in a test and a trial, right now that should just give you immense hope out of this god knows exactly what's going on he's not up there like trying to figure it out as he goes along he knows what's coming tomorrow and next week and next month and next year and on and on god is in control of everything that's taking place here he knows what's happening and there they are in the process already on a holy sabbath god's preparing it bake what you have baked uh bake uh, what you will bake and boil what you boil and all be left over lay aside to keep to the morning. So they laid it aside, verse 24, till the morning as Moses commanded them and it did not stink and there were no worms in it. Uh, 25, Moses said, eat it today for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it. But on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. This is so cool. God is in so control of this fine dust like stuff that he brings it down and if you don't, by that later in the day when the heat comes out, it just gets all bad. But then, after six days, or after five days, after that time, then when you go to collect, you collect twice as much, and you, you take and you cook it, and it doesn't get rotten. How can that happen? Um, God's in control of the details. Uh, let's keep going. On the seventh day, verse 27, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day, even before the Sabbath was in place. Verse 31, now the house of Israel called its name, in other words, this flake-like thing, manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar, put an omer of man in it, place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. Another miracle. 
God can, God, God can put a limit on the stuff for one day. Then God, at certain times of the week, can put a limit on the stuff to go bad at two days. And then God can have them collect some stuff that'll last forever. Again, folks, just coming down to this testing thing, God knows what he's doing and he's in control of all the details. He's got a plan. Be encouraged. Be hopeful. Verse 34, as the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna 40 years. You know, a lot of times that's talked about just from the standpoint of, oh, can you imagine eating manna for 40 years? Steve, uh, uh, Keith Green, I said Steve Green last time. It's Keith Green has a song in, in the olden days, uh, has a song about it, talking about this, and he talks about banana bread and you know all the kinds of things they made with this. And it, it's fun and it's true. And they ate it for 40 years. But I think here's the point of it. God provided this 40 years. This isn't about the fact that those poor people haven't eaten the same thing day in and day out. This is about a God-centric deal. God provided this for 40 years. What an awesome God. Let's jump down to verse chapter 17. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped in Rephidim. Okay, so they were over there, and what was the issue going on over there? Thirsty. Then they came over to the wilderness of sin. What was going on over there? What was the issue over there? They were hungry. Now they're over here in the area of Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Oh, isn't that interesting? Because this is kind of like back there, isn't it? You know, they thirsted back there. They had an issue there. And then God provided food about a month later. And now, I don't know, it's a few weeks later on. And now they're thirsting again. I wonder how they're going to respond. I wonder if they're going to come back and reflect upon what God had done back then so that now they could remember that a sovereign God is in control of all things, guiding them, and God's going to take care of it. Let's take a look and see how they respond. Verse 2, therefore the people quarreled with Moses. Oh, dog. And it's interesting, the word quarrel here in the Hebrew is talking about laying out a case. It's more of a legal term. In other words, all the people of Israel, they started forming a lawsuit against Moses. And they're suing him. Therefore, the people put together a lawsuit against Moses and said, look at this, give us water to drink. Remember the first time? It was a question. Hey, Moses, is there water to drink? And now it's, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? Oh, the test is getting turned around. Now the test is not about the Lord testing his people, as far as the people are concerned, not looking at it and saying, you know what, maybe God is testing us again. Maybe God is trying to school me again and help me grow again. Maybe God is trying to do something. Instead of this, this has become a, God, who do you think you are? Verse 3, but the people thirsted there for water and people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? I missed the big screen TVs and the MCL cafeteria buffet. Verse 4, so Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. Listen, do we get the idea this is serious? These people are honked big time. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go, behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb and you shall strike the rock and water shall come out of it and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel and he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? Oh, um, class ain't going too well. Class is not going too well. But there's some things to learn from this. And in fact, I want to hold it there today. And I want to focus in on let's learn from uh, three things that we can really learn from these people. God has brought him through three trials and there are some things that we can walk away with this and take for ourselves and I want to keep it kind of left unanswered, left right there at this point in time. 
Number one, God tests me. God tests me. Life schools me. Tests are designed to find out if a person grasps. Tests are supposed to be designed to to apply, uh, find out how a person is applying and grasping something. Listen, I've been in a lot of school a lot of my life, and I never liked tests. But I'm not talking about like an academic test. This is a God test. This is like the perfect kind of test, not the annoying ones, but maybe we receive them this way. But God tests me, and God uses circumstances out of my control to test me. I'm not talking about the consequences of my sinfulness. I'm talking about we're moving through life like the Israels are, Israelites are. They're moving through life, and there are circumstances that come out of control to test me. I mean, in their situation, it was thirst and hunger. And maybe it's money or the stock market or employment or health or a car accident or death that are my fault. But God, in his sovereignty, allows them to come in my life. And God tests me through circumstances. Second, God tests me through people. People that are out of my control. Hey, spouses, have, have, have you come to realize that you can't change your spouse? Thank you. You can't. You can try and you can try and you can try. Now, we work together on it, but but I'm talking about people that are out of my control test me. And we get so frustrated, like, Doug, you have no idea about my spouse. Oh, no, I don't. But look at me. God does. Doug, you have no idea about the teacher at school. You have no idea what my parents are like at home. I'm hearing you. You have no idea about my coach at school. I kid you not. I am convinced in sin that there I had some coaches who were from Satan in high school. But if I'm mature enough to look at it, actually the truth of the matter is, is they're from God. Why does God test me with circumstances and people? Let's just bring up a number of these verses. Look at these. I don't know if you can write these down or not. But uh, God tests me. We've already seen in Exodus 15 to see if I will listen and obey. That's why part of why God tests. Also, Exodus 16, to see if I will actually live life his way. Am I all talk? And then when life gets hard, I bail and my real theology shows which is life is about me. Uh, in Exodus 16 as well, to show his power, his faithfulness, and his comfort. God brings tests in life to reveal himself. Uh, we see in Job, because God has a higher purpose. Job had no idea what God was doing to him. He kills, he, God allows for his children to be killed, for his corporate enterprise to be taken under, for everything to be taken, including eventually his own health. And he has no idea that this is a thing that I think ultimately out of the book of Job at that time. God was using Job, allowing Job to be a testimony to Satan himself for what it looks like to be someone who is going to submit themselves and live for the glory of God because Satan couldn't do that, didn't do that. And God is allowing all these horrific things to happen on this incredibly godly man, as Job 1 says. Why? So that he could be a testimony to Satan himself, and he didn't even know it. Listen, God does tests in life because sometimes he just has higher purposes that we don't even have the foggiest clue about. 1 Samuel 17, love it. To prepare me for future ministry. There David is before Goliath, got the stones. And he's sitting there and we're like, how can this little sheep dude, it's not all that big of a guy, how could he take on this WWF man and take this whole thing out? And the scripture in 1 Samuel 17 tells us why. In fact, tells us David's exact thinking. And the thinking was this. David says he looks back and he remembers a time in his past where he fought a lion and a bear. And God showed up when he was protecting his sheep from a lion and protecting his sheep from a bear. And out of that trial, David learned that God is big. 
And if he is faithful to this big God and placing in a hard circumstance before this God, even a lion and a bear can't conquer over. So who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he smack talks the name and people of God? Down, boy. That's what was going on. It's not that David thinks he's so great. David is remembering what God has done in the past and is testing of him to prepare him for this moment. And many times God is just bringing things into our life that we're like, this isn't fair. I don't get it. I don't know why. I don't like it. And sometimes it's just because God is preparing you for something down the road. The issue is, is do we have that kind of foresight? Do we have that kind of theology? God also uses him to teach me his decrees, Psalm 119. Second Corinthians 12, Paul talks about how he has a thorn in the flesh. And he talks about how he's prayed again and again, God, please remove this trial from my life. And God doesn't. And Paul comes out of that and he says, listen, he's using this to teach me to be humble and to live by his grace and in his power and not my own. Romans 8, 28 and 29 all things work together for good. Man, that thing can be thrown around like a piece of wiffle dust. Hey, this is just going to be for your good. La, 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 la. I ain't feeling it. Verse 29 is the kicker. Because verse 29, you cannot separate from verse 28. Verse 29 says, so that you may be conformed to the image of his son. Why, does, why can I look at things and go, all things work together for good? Because out of that passage, part of it is, is we know that even in this horrible thing, that person is sinning, doing wrong, doing evil, making my life miserable. The circumstances are miserable. I have no idea what God is up to, but I do know this out of these other things as well. God could be and is likely using this to help me become more like Christ. Really? Yes, Really? In the Garden of Gethsemane, Christ is like, I don't like this. I don't want this. Sweating blood. But listen, he changes course in his thinking. Not my will, but yours. That's thinking biblically in a trial. Well, to grow your faith to bring Christ glory and honor. Listen, folks, God tests you. Do you know that? Yeah, I know that. No, I'm serious. Do you know that? Because if you and I know that, one, right now, if you're in a test, and I understand tests are really hard, and if at this point in time, if you're in a test right now and you've forgotten that, be encouraged. God is testing you. God is training you. God is schooling you for his, out of his perfecting love to do some good, but I don't see any good out of this. I understand. I know I'm not God. You're not God, but he is. But also, if you're not going through a test right now, and we understand that God schools his children, one's coming. I'm just telling you, one's coming. I don't know what it is. I don't know what God's going to do through it, but we can just bank on this. One's coming. I don't say that with any delight because it applies to me. But one's coming. And if one's coming that God's going to use to test and refine me and to bring him glory, then I need to be preparing myself now during the downtime, if you will, of the trial to be prepared to handle the test when it comes. And oh yeah, when something comes along, man, I've got to realize that my mind goes this way, as we're going to talk about in just a second, but I've got to go this way. God tests me, second, and therefore I need to choose my attitude course. You need to choose your attitude course. Option number one means that God is not in this. And it looks like this. When I choose to see that life is out of control, and by the way, we choose to do that. When I choose to see life as completely out of control, the result of that is, is I blame we just saw that with the Israelites. Moses. When I choose to see life as out of control, I blame. When I choose to see life as impossible to handle, I fear and despair. There's no hope. I'm going to die. I can't handle this. Oh, we forgot 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No trial, no temptation. The word Greek word there applies to temptation and trial. No trial is so big that no trial... How's it go? 
No temptation has overtaken me that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not allow you to be trialed beyond what you can bear. Hunker onto that one. God, I feel like this has taken me under. I can't handle this anymore. I'm about to be crushed and I'm about to die. But wait a second, that's bad thinking. Because the scriptures say that God will not allow anything to come in my way that is going to take me out. And it's hard, but I fear and despair. Third, when I choose to see life as being about me, I sin and I test God. Listen to this. Complaining questions the sovereignty of God. When I complain, I question the sovereignty of God. How can my boss do that? How can my spouse do that? How can my dog do that? Excuse me, but is God not the one who is in control of all details? God allows sin to occur even upon me, Pharaoh, on the Israelites. God does not cause the sin, but God is so big that he ultimately uses evil for his glory. Man, it's hard to get your head around that one, isn't it? But when I complain, I am ultimately questioning the sovereignty of God. When I complain, I am ultimately questioning the sufficiency of God. God's not big enough. He hasn't provided enough. Excuse me, but if I remember right, the scriptures say that he has given me the spirit of God, the word of God, and the people of God, and has not allowed anything to come in my life that will take me down. It's bad thinking if God has not given me what I need to handle this. And we saw at the end of our text that when we complain, we really are forgetting God. Instead, God is in this. This is the cool stuff. Listen, when I choose my attitude course, when I choose to trust in the sovereignty of God, I have hope. I don't get it. I don't like it. I don't want it. I didn't ask for it. But listen, God brought it. And I have hope because God's in control. When I choose to trust in a sufficient God, I have strength. I'm not alone. I've got his spirit. I've got his word. I've got God's people. And when I choose to trust in glorifying God, I have purpose. I don't get it. I don't like it. But I do know this. I want to glorify God through this. Therefore, I don't necessarily, it's fine to pray, God, oh, please remove me out of this, which we see in the Psalms. But at the same time, that may not be God's plan for you. God's plan for you may be for you to faithfully walk through this trial for his glory. Remember bringing back the thirst? Listen, sometimes when we don't learn over trials, God keeps bringing them back. Why? Because he wants to perfect us in him. And I choose my attitude course. When God tests me, I choose my attitude course. And lastly, my choice has consequences. If I'm going to choose to have life be about my ease, we'll see here with the Israelites that God is going to bring a wilderness experience. God's perfecting love is so big that God literally says, I love you so much that I will bring the heat on harder and harder until you learn, until you understand what contentedness means, until you understand what it means to live under my sovereignty, until you understand what it means to be thankful even in hard times. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Take every thought captive. Take every thought captive. Grab it, run it through biblical truth, and by faith, I'm trusting it. God tests me. I choose my attitude course and my choice has consequences. If I choose me, God's going to continue to work on me. If I choose to trust in a sovereign, sufficient, worthy God, he's going to be glorified and he's going to bless and I'm going to grow. Our eyes can see the work of God. Our mouths can sing the work of God. But God wants us to be about living God. Let's pray.
Lord, uh, what I've just been talking about is heavy-duty stuff. This is, uh, this is real meat, real hard. And I even understand there may be some here today that just are not liking it. I understand. I understand. I understand today that there may be some here today who are going through a hard time of life. And Father, I pray that they would take every thought captive, that they would run it through biblical theology and not personal theology. Father, the fact is, is we all struggle with being complainers. I do. And God, it's a heart problem. It's a not seeing you problem. And Lord, you take it real serious. Because it's an all-out affront on your sovereignty and your glory. So Lord, I pray this morning if there's some here who just literally need to uh, seek forgiveness, that they be doing that right now. If they've been complaining and griping about what's going on in their life and they've forgotten you, I pray this would be a time of repentance. Father, may we cling to contentedness in you. May we cling to the fact that our life is not to be about me. May we cling to the fact of how thankful we should be that you are our God leading us. Oh God, help us to think biblically. pray that we choose thankfulness. I pray that we choose contentedness. I pray that we choose submission to your will. I pray that we choose to trust in you. I pray that we choose not to complain. I pray we choose you. God, thank you for schooling us. And your students need your help. Thank you for your perfecting love. Thank you for your long suffering. Thank you for holding us tightly. In the name of Christ, amen.